On today's program, we're speaking with Suman Kerr, a trainer and coach in Mumbai in India. Suman is a prolific poster on social media. I see posts about her training business, uh, communication and customer service training every single week without fail, as regular as clockwork. This is episode five of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Thanks for your time today. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. This is the podcast for you, for training business professionals all around the world, helping you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Today's guest is Suman Kerr. Suman is a training business owner in Mumbai, in India, and she specializes, as you'll hear, in communication and soft skills training. By some accounts, India is set to become the third largest economy in the world by 2030, and the training industry in India, according to some projections, could be worth as much as $20 billion a year by 2030. Now, let's see what Suman has to say. Good morning, Suman, and welcome to the program. Hi, Mark. Hi. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Uh, You're based in Mumbai in India, is that correct? Yes. So what's the weather like there today? It's been a little rainy, a little sunny, usually humid the way Bombay is all the time. Yeah. And temperatures? Close to 30, 30 degrees. Is that normal for this time of year? Yeah, it's actually a little cooler if you ask me, but it's fine. Okay. So look, so I thought we'd um, we'd have a chat because um, I haven't spoken to too many trainers in India, and I thought that would be the great basis for a conversation. As you know, my audience uh, internationally are trainers just like you and I, and uh, I thought that it would be a nice conversation to have. Um, I've been looking at your website and I see that uh, you are primarily a soft skills and communication trainer. What does that mean exactly? So it means that uh, soft skills and communication are two sets of skills that I'm an expert in. If I would call myself a sales trainer, then I would be an expert in sales. So when I say soft skills and communication trainer, that's normally understood as in my country where I train, as those are two skill sets that I have an expertise on. Okay. So what is the difference primarily? I'm, the reason I'm asking the question is because um, there are people who would specialize in one or the other. Communication training is to some degree a soft skill. What else falls under the umbrella of soft skills when you say specifically soft skills? Communication definitely is one of the soft skills, but I try to say communication separately because there are a lot of other things like business communication, presentation skills that fall under communicating. Other soft skills would include stress management, time management, customer service, uh, those kind of uh, skills which change with the situation, the kind of customer you're talking to, you know, so, so that's, that's why I try and specify it's communication and soft skills. And do you think there's a large market for communication training, specifically in Mumbai? 
A lot. Uh, I would say that there's a lot of scope as well for improvement, whether or not people realize that they need. Uh, in fact, off late, I've been very disillusioned with uh, a couple of emails that have been sent to me, a particular panel discussion that I was in, and someone sent me a brief of their organization with so many grammatical errors. So there is definitely a lot of scope for communication training. Apart from that, uh, People also do a lot of uh, customer service training in today's times, I think, because customer service is really important. So, yeah, communication is is one of the main modules that most organizations go for. Let's go back a moment to your story personally. How did you become involved in training, Simone? Okay, I finished my post-graduation in English literature about 16 years ago. (laughs) That's how long I've been training for I was very clear that after five years of literature, I really didn't want to go back to teaching literature by doing a PhD or an MPhil. That did not appeal to me. But I also knew that my career will have something to do with language and definitely with people because I'm really not someone who can sit behind a computer for eight hours and say, you know, do content writing or something like that. Uh, which is when I discovered uh, coaching for entrance exams. I did that for the first five years of my career. Okay. So we have a lot of uh, coaching uh, classes happening for MBA entrance exams. So common admission test, CAT, is the biggest one in India. Apart from that, a lot of other B schools, business schools have their own um, entrance exams and there are proper, uh, you know, tutoring institutes that coach students in that. And I used to coach students. And uh, that's when I did a lot of reading comprehension, vocabulary building, grammar, and I really loved it. I built a lot of strong command over my own language. Um, Then I moved to, this was in uh, Delhi, which is the capital city. And then I moved to Bombay in uh, 2007. I took a break for a year and 2008-9 is when I thought when I'm in a new city, I have an opportunity to try something new and corporate training is something that I always wanted to try, not continue teaching students. So I thought, why not, you know, try something different. Now I'm talking about almost a decade before, right? So it was a very different world. There was no online world or social media There were a few job sites. I uploaded my resume there and I just had to wait. Uh, Meanwhile, I also got a certification from Dale Carnegie in training. They have a train the trainer program for three days. Dale Carnegie is a well-known name and I wanted to do it from a place where everyone recognizes it. Uh, And then gradually I started getting assignments Initially, I worked with consultants. Consultants are training vendors who speak to clients and figure out what their training need is. And then they go around looking for a trainer and, you know, fix a trainer there as the need be. So what do you like about the training business so much? I think I love going out there and talking to people. I love being in a training session. Even if I've done the same module several times for a client, I think every batch is so different. The reactions that you get to the same games and the same questions and the same activities. I think that's what really excites me every single time I get into a training program. And that's what I really look forward to. And you're also a certified coach, just as I am too. What do you think is 
the difference between training and coaching? And it's a, it's a bit of a loaded question. I know what I'm thinking, but I'd love to hear your version of that. Okay, I hope I have the right answer to it. Uh, <laughs> if you ask me, training is something where uh, the knowledge goes from the trainer to the trainee. I could also give information, new learnings uh, to the participant. But I think coaching is mainly one-on-one where the coach asks powerful questions to help the coachee reach his or her own answers. Uh, so it's it's nothing ready-made. So coach is not going to teach anything. The coach is just going to ask questions and, and help the client reach where he or she intends to be. So I think that's been important difference to me. And it's funny because I've, I've often seen on people's profiles on places like LinkedIn, uh, there is... Uh, in fact, a couple of profiles I've seen this week of people who are trainers, but they state they're coaches, but I can't see any evidence of a coaching qualification. And I'm often wondering if that is the case and people aren't clear on the fundamental differences, and there are fundamental differences between training and coaching, are people, um, what are they doing with their clients when they are particularly in a coaching contract? Are they clear on on how to contract with the client? Are they clear on the principles of coaching uh, so that someone can actually genuinely say, yes, I've seen the benefits of coaching my organization? So you're qualified. um, And did you find yourself drawn to coaching for any specific reason rather than just staying in training? I uh, trained uh, for about like 12 years. I got my certification and coaching done only in 2015. And I think that was the right time for me to uh, focus on one-to-one relationships. I've trained a lot in a group of 20, 25, you know, per batch. You do business communication or email writing. No one really writes great emails right from the next day, you know. So that kind of satisfaction is something that that was missing in, in corporate training. I wanted to go out there and, you know, try and work one-to-one and see what difference I can make to individuals. And I think that is where uh, coaching came in, where I could train in batches when I was training, but I could also work on individual goals with people and see that I could help them get from point A to point B. In fact, uh, off late, I've also uh, started working with clients on a training come coaching kind of uh, a model which works for me. I, I'm not sure that's a very standard thing to do, but I work on clients one to one on their skills. You know, so so I give them things to do. They go ahead and work on that. We have weekly sessions on Skype. You know, so it's more of a training, but one to one. And I really like that because I get to see the real improvement and difference in a single client uh, who comes up with things that he or she needs to improve upon. And by the end of three weeks, four weeks, I can actually see them move a little ahead in their goals. So I think coaching also really helped me uh, master the one-to-one bit where I thought, why can't I use my training skills and use it to train slash coach a single individual? Why does it always have to be a group of people with group training needs? So I think coaching helped me there as well. And is that delivered remotely? Um, you, you mentioned Skype. Is it always remotely? Not, uh, not really. I have, uh, I have coached people individually as well as in, in my own uh, city. So that worked. But right now I'm working with a client who lives in a, in a different city in, in North India. 
and I do sessions over Skype with him once a week and that works fine because I think in today's times where we have so much of technology, uh, boundaries are really not an issue at all. You could be anywhere and you could still do a virtual session. So I think that that's a great thing. You work with uh, a lot of banks or rather according to your profile on LinkedIn, you have worked with a lot of banks. Is, is that um, currently the case? Yes, it's not deliberate, but when I look back, I just got assignments and I went ahead and did it. It wasn't a deliberate thing to say that I want to specialize in the banking and insurance industry. So, yeah, majority of my clients have been banks and insurance. And do you find yourself drawn to those kinds of clients, what I would call professional services? Per se, I mean, for example, would you work in uh, with companies in insurance or uh, professional services, legal services as well, or is it primarily banks? Not really. I think to me, a client is a client. I've worked for uh, energy groups. I worked for an audio company. I worked in retail. So to me, a client is a client. As long as the client wants the skills that I deliver, I'm absolutely open to any kind of an industry. That's really not not a concern for me. Okay. I noticed on your website that you also offer blogging. You obviously offer coaching and training, which we've discussed. But you also offer blogging, and that intrigued me. Um, what exactly do you offer clients under the umbrella term blogging? Okay, I started a blogging classes somewhere in the end of 2015. And you could say that this is India's first blogging workshop for beginners, people who want to start a blog and have no clue what to do. Uh, although off late, I've not done a lot of uh, open batches on, on blogging, but I've still kept it there in, on my website. So there are a lot of communities in India where, uh, you know, people who are already bloggers can gather and share their posts and comment on each other's posts. But I found that there isn't really anything to help people who want to start blogging. And I got inspired to do this when I set up my own blog in 2013-14. I read a lot. I literally read for like eight to 10 hours every day for three months to understand what the blogosphere is all about in the training industry, in India, abroad. Uh, are there any such blogs? What are they writing? What kind of content is out there? And I learned a lot of things on my own through trial and error. And I realized that Google did not have a lot of straight off answers. There aren't a lot of, uh, you know, posts online which talk about the creative aspect of running a blog, you know, like generating content week after week. So how do you go ahead deciding what is that content? What kind of content would work with the kind of target audience that you're writing for? And I thought that I really wanted to share my experiences with people who wanted to start a blog of their own and which is how the blogging workshop came about and I um, very humbly named it Blog Like Soman and it kind of worked and I, I've had a few <laughs> I've had a few open workshops where people uh, have come in and I've shared my experiences with them helped them plan their blogs and some of them have even you know kind of made an attempt to start but blogging of course requires a lot of uh, time and commitment I've been doing this for four years so I know how it works uh, you know, so so that is where the blogging uh, workshops came about specifically. 
On the topic of blogging, you, you're extremely prolific on LinkedIn. I've, um, I must get a, a post from you at least once a day in the, in, in the last week. I've just been keeping an eye on that. And uh, <laughs> how's yes, that I working saw you out for you? My <laughs> that's I the least I can do. <laughs> <laughs> do you find that's actually yielding concrete business results for you? Okay. I started uh, my online presence in 2014 when I started my blog and then I connected that with a Facebook page and my Twitter timeline and LinkedIn. Honestly speaking, LinkedIn took me the longest to get used to because I I still don't like LinkedIn, you know. I get all kinds of random things on my timeline and, you know, those kind of things. But being on these social media platforms really uh, got people to recognize me for what I do. And my branding has been very successful because even now when people think of soft skills, sometimes they'll send me a message on Twitter or, you know, go check out my blog and say, oh, you know, we were talking about this topic. And, you know, I mentioned that I know a soft skills trainer was doing a great job. So that is how LinkedIn came about. And I've been pretty active for about a year and a half on LinkedIn, whether I like it or not. I ensure that... um, My content, of course, goes out to Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, everywhere. But I think posting content regularly on LinkedIn has really gotten me noticed. I've had a couple of assignments come up straight away based on, you know, the blog posts I've written or the experiences that I've had, uh, you know, which are there on LinkedIn. For instance, I've, I've trained HDFC Bank. I did about 95 batches on customer service for them. And two years later, which is last year, Someone got in touch with me. He was a vendor, but he straight away said, here, you know, I have five batches with another bank for customer service. And I had to do nothing for it, you know, except for my presence on LinkedIn. So uh, I use uh, scheduling apps to go ahead and schedule my content for the week, two weeks. So I'm not actually sitting and posting that content in real time, which is what helps me be prolific and ensure that uh, I'm not. I'm not missing in action for a long time because the attention spans are very short on social media. So you can't afford to just vanish for a week and expect people to remember you. So, which is why I think you very regularly see my posts because they've been scheduled to appear at certain times during the day. Is that something like Hootsuite you use to uh, to schedule your content? Yes, I use Hootsuite. Okay. In terms of the. Um, plan for that content? Do you batch content or do you simply sit down uh, and create a series of blog posts on a particular theme and then send them out via Hootsuite? Or do you find it's more productive to actually sit down and do maybe 8, 9, 10, 12, 14 days back to back? Actually, content-wise, uh, there are a lot of different kinds of content that work on social media. One can't just keep posting just blog posts or just images, or just videos, because there are people who like reading, there are people who like watching videos. Sometimes I I put tips on an image because, you know, people could just glance through and learn something and, you know, something might click in their mind and say, oh, I need some, you know, something of this sort. So I try and post different kinds of content and I have lots and lots of content. My blog alone has 200 posts. Wow. Uh, yeah, I completed 200 posts last uh, month. Congratulations. For which, thank you, for which I wrote another post, you know, saying 13 lessons that I have learned over 200 posts in four years. So 
I got a blocked topic there, you know, to write about <laughs> because what to write next has become increasingly challenging in the last year and a half because I've written about so many topics that it's really hard to come up with something really good and, you know, continue to write. So I, I have all those posts there. I have videos from my YouTube channel. I make a lot of graphics myself on uh, canva.com. So I make, uh, you know, Tuesday tips. I share photos on, on Throwback Thursday, which actually helps people know what I've been doing in the past. So there is a lot of content. So I don't really have to create content, especially because I want to uh, post, but I make use of this, uh, all this content that I have and kind of space it across. You know, like Thursdays would have Throwback Thursday, Tuesdays would have a Tuesday tip. I also have testimonials from my clients because that really works well in attracting attention of prospective clients. There's a happy customer and this is what he or she said. Uh, off late, I've also made uh, the call to action, the CTA on my social media updates, kind of stronger, you know, where I've, I've, I've started directly and shamelessly telling people that if you would like to work with me on your presentation skills or if you want a training experience that this client has described in her testimonial why don't you just drop me a line here or email me because I've realized that giving specific call to actions kind of attracts more attention so I have all this content which is just space out on YouTube say one video a week one throwback Thursday a week a few blog posts here and there a few images here and there and you know I try and schedule a week at a time if I have the time, two weeks at a time. So maintaining social media itself is, is like a full-time thing, you know, because you just have to constantly keep doing it. I had found an app for Twitter where, you know, you post a certain number of blog posts and it just keeps uh, shuffling it for you. But unfortunately, the free service went out of fashion and, uh, you know, I really didn't, didn't think I wanted to take a paid membership. So Hootsuite works fine for me. So scheduling ensures that people, if, if they miss something today, they'll definitely get to see something from me tomorrow, if not morning, sometime in the evening or post lunch. So I try and uh, space it across the day at dif different uh, times when I think people might be on LinkedIn. Where do you find the energy to do all this? I'm really impressed. Uh, well, it's a lot of work. Agreed. I do have interns sometimes to help me with this. Uh, there was a time when I just outsourced my social media scheduling to an intern and I said, dude, you do this for three months or I can take a break. But otherwise, I think it's passion that sustains. I know there are days when I get up in the morning and I groan and say, oh, God, I need to schedule something on social media. But <laughs> otherwise, uh, you know, I think... Uh, one has to have a lot of passion. And, and I feel that since I set up my online brand, it's very important to be uh, on your toes and ensure that people remember you, people know what you're doing. Because if you're not training, again, when I started off, we were freelancers, but now we are called entrepreneurs. So as an entrepreneur, if I'm not training, then the rest of my time actually goes into, you know, scheduling and writing blog posts and getting in touch with people, contacting them, asking them if they need any services, uh, you know, keeping track of my statistics on my social media and say, how has the traffic been on a particular post, you know, morning better is better in the evening and then see how I can uh, ensure that I post at a time when my target audience is going to be online. So yeah, it's a lot of work, but I think I, I love what I do. I've done this for 16 years. So I think the passion just sustains me.
Where do you find in time, where do you find in all of this then the time for networking for events? I understand that you're uh, involved uh, for executive presence for women in, in Mumbai. Is that on behalf of Oracle? I went and trained this company uh, called Oracle. So this was a program that I did for Women's Day for them. So there were about 15 women. And we trained, uh, and I trained them on executive presence. So, so this is uh, this is a proper assignment that I did for. And so, you, are you heavily involved in training women? Is that is that it's something which is dear to your heart? Uh, it is dear to my heart, and I'm also uh, on the on the what would you say you know mentor list of a couple of uh, women's organizations, women networks. Right. So in India, there's a big thing happening called helping women to come back to second careers, and there are a lot of these uh, women's groups, online communities that are doing a lot of work in connecting women to different companies and leads, working on their skill development, helping them gain confidence and, you know, appear in interviews. So I'm a part of a couple of these communities and I'm also doing a session on the 25th of this month for one such community where I'm going to talk about the communication, the confidence building, the interviewing skills aspect of it because these women are coming back after a break, maybe because they got married or mainly because they had children and, you know, they're willing to get back into the workforce. So it's it's kind of bringing them up to speed with what the job market is about now and what are the kind of skills that will help them move ahead. So um, I, I do, th- this is one of the projects you can say that I do apart from open workshops or one-to-one coaching or training that I do for corporates. So, so being a part of women's communities and training for them is one of the projects that, that, that I'm involved in. I spent five weeks in India a number of years ago, specifically in Delhi, and I was quite struck struck by the number of uh, female trainers. In fact, in the whole office, there was only one man involved in training. Um, do, do you find there's a lot of women involved in the training scene, uh, either in Mumbai or in India as a whole? I, I've kind of never looked at it as... Um, a gendered kind of a profession, but maybe training is considered to be, uh, you know, a more a woman thing. But I think soft skills and communication you will find to be more, you know, women oriented maybe. But if you say it's sales and negotiation and conflict management, you know, the more manly skills so-called uh, could be men. But I really don't think so. Uh, maybe because... Uh, Women are considered more people friendly, you know, that could be the reason. I don't know. I think there are, there are, I have seen enough male trainers. I really don't think it's very much a women thing in, in, in the Indian society. So what is the size of the, of the training opportunity right now in India? Let's just say we, uh, we said, um, I'm thinking of the, the, the size of the, the city, first of all, in terms of population Mumbai, how many in the city itself? Uh, you mean the, the population of Mumbai? Yeah. I've not yet been to Mumbai. I've been to Uttar Pradesh and I've been to Delhi, but just not yet Mumbai. On my list of things to do. Okay, we don't really have a lot of latest Sensex. Uh, this thing says 1.84 crores in 2011. Let me check 18. So it says 22.5 million people. Right. So do you this find that... the latest stats. Is, yes. is, is it, would it suffice to concentrate on Mumbai 
sufficiently to provide you with an income? In other words, do you find yourself marketing yourself uh, in other cities throughout India? Or do you find that Mumbai is enough as a catchment area with a population of that size to provide you with your income for your business? So again, geographical boundaries, like I said, don't really make any sense to me. I'm completely open to traveling to any place that has a training program. And I've traveled extensively in the West of the country as a West zone trainer for a lot of organizations. So say a bank wants to train uh, people in a lot of their branches. So they prefer to have one trainer who's just going to travel to their different uh, branches. I've done that in in Gujarat and uh, Mumbai, Maharashtra, in Goa. So those are the areas. But I've also trained in Jammu and Kashmir, which is right up north, and Chennai, which is down south. So I really don't find geographical boundaries um, to matter that much. I don't look at it as, let me do this in Mumbai, and this is where I'm going to train. In fact, I'm, I'm already, uh, I've started this new project where I'm sending proposals to colleges to conduct placement sessions for their students. So final year students in engineering colleges and business management schools have companies coming into their colleges to recruit people. And they have a good two months of preparation for placements. And uh, as, as a soft skills trainer, I really want to go down there right where the college students are and you know train them in corporate etiquette because uh, Academics doesn't really cover that. And when they come into the corporate world, I can really see where the lack is right at their college level. So I've been sending out um, proposals to pretty much any city I can think of, you know, from Baroda and Gujarat to Mumbai. So I'm just looking at places where two, two tier, three tier cities where they're really in need of uh, a placement session of this sort. So I really don't think of it as, uh, you know, Mumbai is sufficient. I mean, sky's the limit. So I'm never going to <laughs> really look at geographical boundaries and say, okay, this is it. I think that's the fun of being an entrepreneur that you can reach out to as many people as you want to. It's funny you mentioned that topic just now about uh, corporate etiquette. I've been approached by a company locally here where I live, and they were looking for more or less the same thing. Do you find that there is a growing requirement for graduates to have some kind of program which enables them to slot into the corporate environment upon leaving school? Yes, absolutely. In fact, a few years ago, a new term called employability skills was given to this kind of a project where a lot of companies actually started providing exclusively em- employability skills and they were on the lookout for trainers who would go, go to colleges for two hours a day, thrice a week and you know cover the entire range of uh, skills that people might need uh, from presentation skills to grooming to presenting to interviews, uh, writing your resume, writing your cover letter, you know, an entire 20, 30 hour, hour program. Uh, I think that kind of fizzled out in the long run, but uh, colleges uh, and, and college students really have the need to understand corporate etiquette, which is not really covered in academics. And I feel that they severely lack in in this particular area. I've had people uh, get in touch with me and they say, okay, can I send you a resume? And they email me just the resume not a single line along with it, you know, and then I have to tell them that, look, I can't forward this to the HR manager of a company, right? You need to give me some kind of a cover letter, which tells 
why you're applying for this job so that I can forward that as it is, which is your application to the HR manager. So I think um, this is a really huge thing that people really need to work on. Academics doesn't cover it. Uh, so there is a huge lack and college students really need to work on this. If someone uh, listening to this um, wants to perhaps get into the training business, what tip would you give them? Where should they start? I think the first time anyone tells me I want to be a trainer and I'm like, why? I don't know that to reflect. <laughs> I'm like, why? You know, there's enough chaos going on here. So why would you want to be a trainer? But uh, I think the first thing that I want to tell anyone who wants to become a trainer is, it's not as glamorous as it looks. Most people feel, oh, you can train for a few days a month and, you know, just chill the rest of the time. But that's really not the case. I mean, even getting those few days of training programs is a lot of hard work. And when you're not training, you're going ahead and tracking down other opportunities to train. Otherwise, you may probably not have work next month, you know. So I think the first tip would be training isn't as glamorous. Uh, it's it's not steady work at all. One has to be prepared for a lot of hard work uh, to ensure that you're constantly networking people, constantly telling people. And uh, the second thing that I want to say is uh, go ahead and please get a train the trainer uh, certification done. Get yourself certified. Formally learn how to be a good trainer, certain skills like professionalism, listening, time management, managing participants in a class. I think these are a few skills that are very important in order to become a, a great trainer. So train the trainer is something that uh, one should uh, aim for. Thirdly, choose a particular field and be an expert in it. Nowadays, I find that a lot of people have six designations under their name. So they're a social media coach and they're a sales trainer and they're an NLP practitioner and a lot of things. I think that's, that's very confusing. So what is it that you are an expert of? You know, so I think people should really focus on something and, you know, just ensure that they work on that before they move on to something else. Um, in fact, interestingly, uh, a lot of people got in, used to get in touch with me and ask, how do I become a trainer? And I, and I put together a blog post on my, on my blog and every year I find that it is on, uh, it is among the top three posts in terms of traffic. Really? And uh, th those are the number of people who go and read that blog post on how to become a corporate trainer. And at that time, that was my longest post. It's like 2000 plus words. It's, it's almost a long form post. Um, so yeah, that's how much people want, want to become a trainer. And I actually wrote down everything there that I tell anyone who comes to me for advice in terms of skills, the certifications, the way you go about, uh, you know, looking for clients, the pitfalls, the work. So the post covers everything. Right. I need to get a copy of that uh, post. I'm going to include that then in the notes to this show. Sure. I'll send the link to you. Fantastic. Where can our listeners find out more about you then, Suman? I think sumancare.com is one of the best places to see uh, what I do because I've mentioned my modules there. I have my services listed, the contact information, the YouTube channel is connected to it. There is a photo slider which, you know, shows 
the programs that I do. That's the best place. But apart from that, LinkedIn also is a great place to get in touch with me. So anyone can go to my LinkedIn profile, drop me a line. And I'm pretty responsive, whether it is on the phone or LinkedIn or on my blog, because I check them multiple times a day. So uh, it's not possible that I'm going to miss out on someone's message. So I think that's a great place to get in touch with me. I really enjoyed today's conversations. Thank you so much, Suman. Me too. Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much. Suman, thanks for being our guest on the show this Thursday morning. It's been great having you with us live from Mumbai. And to you, our listeners, thanks for your time in listening to this week's episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. So make sure you subscribe to the show for Training Business Talk every single Thursday. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts because, well, you guessed it, it helps us to promote the show and to attract the kinds of guests whose entrepreneurial journey in the training business can help you with yours. You can check out the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, And of course, on our website, www.trainingbusiness.com every single Thursday. So until next Thursday, take care and have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.